Hey, uh, yeah, my, my family and I, we, uh, we, we spent 20 years in uh, Budapest, Hungary, or in Hungary, but predominantly in the city of Budapest. And our whole uh, goal in being in Hungary, I was a, before going there, I was an assistant youth pastor at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And then we went out to, to Hungary to church plant. And so we were a part of five different church plants, but mainly focused our attention on our um, Bible college that we had there and in the church that uh, was in Budapest that planted out of Budapest several different churches. And so uh, after, after 20 years, we got to the point where we were like, man, we could stay here literally for the rest of our lives. We had definitely been welcomed in as a part of that community. But we also felt like the people there, the leaders that we had, they needed the chance to get to lead. It was their time and their turn. And so we... We started praying like, okay, Lord, if we're supposed to hand this thing over, then what do we do? And an opportunity came up. It's really hard to have to be in San Diego, but somebody has to do that. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but uh, Calvary Chapel, San Diego, uh, the pastor was transitioning out, and that church had been supporting us for 20 years. So we've been pretty invested in that church, but have not ever been from there. But uh, we, we made the move three years ago, and... Uh, we went over, let's see here, like I said, I was an assistant youth pastor. I think I was 21, or maybe we were 21 and 23 when we moved to uh, Hungary. And uh, we went over with one, we had one baby, she was a year. We came back with four kids, <laughs> gray hair. Uh, and America changed in 20 years. It was a totally different place. So we're still trying to figure out what planet we're on right now here in America. And coming to Vegas doesn't help because this is as weird as it gets. I love it. It's amazing. It's just fantastic. It's like, where are we? I, I love it so much. And I, I love this church. This is like, um, we just love Derek. We love Rachel. We love what God's doing here. It's our first time, my first time to get to be here. But we've been connecting with them and just share so much uh, in common in our heart for the Lord. And what is happening here, you guys should be so stoked on what God's doing here. And um, it's a beautiful thing. And um, we're, I'm just especially grateful to get to, to be with you. So uh, yeah, you guys are in this series called The Cloud of Witnesses, and so I get to share with you on the life of Joshua. And so if you have a Bible, take it. We're going to read, uh, I have one verse. I got one verse. Hebrews 11, verse 30 is my, I got one verse, and we're going to look at uh, this verse here. Let me read this to you, and then I want to pray, and then we're going to talk about Joshua. Hebrews 11, verse 30, I'm reading in the New Living Translation, whichever one you got is just fine, but I like the way this one translates. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. I just love the way it says that. So let's pray, and then we're going to talk about this. So Father, thank you that we get to be together like this, and it's just, it's a beautiful thing that you're doing in our midst. I pray that now as we open your word, we also want to, just in a figurative way, Lord, we want to open our hearts to you, and we believe that you not only speak, but that you want to speak to us. And so speak your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you caught it in this verse, there's not one mention of Joshua here. There's no Joshua in this, uh, in this verse here in Hebrews 11. But the story that we're, we read about in Hebrews 11.30 is all about Joshua. And so what I want to do is I want to take you on a little bit of a backstory looking at Joshua and how that impacts us as believers and what it means to live a life of faith. Um, Joshua is a unique character in the Old Testament. Uh, he was 
we don't know how this happened, but at some point, listen, he was there when the children of Israel were in slavery and in bondage in Egypt, and then he was there when they came out of that bondage, and while they were on their way to the sea, and uh, in, in that journey, like in that part, like when, before they made it into Canaan, there was a moment when Moses said, hey, Joshua, I want you to lead the children of Israel in battle. They were not some like trained army. It was just a bunch of guys with like farming tools. But there was another tribe of people called the Amalekites in the area that were harassing and killing the Israelites. And so Moses said, we need to go and, and fight them. And so they chose Joshua. And this is the introduction that we get into this guy who would become a central figure in the Old Testament. So that's the first kind of major introduction of Joshua. And then... Then we read about Joshua going up the mountain with Moses. Now, do you remember Moses went up Mount Sinai? If you know the story in the book of Exodus, he went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments from God, right? You've seen like Charlton Heston, uh, you know, or uh, the, uh, I like the cartoon, The Prince of Egypt was so cool. And, uh, and so Moses goes up the mountain the children of Israel stayed down the mountain. And then Joshua, Moses brings him up partway, and then he says, okay, stay here. And then Moses goes up further. And the two most bizarre, weirdest things in history happen in the two different locations. On one hand, up on the top of the mountain, God himself comes down and with his own hand writes out the Ten Commandments and then literally gives it to Moses. It's insane. On the other hand, on the, down the mountain, the Israelites are going nuts. They are, I mean, they're waiting and they're waiting and nothing's happening. Moses doesn't return and they don't know what to do. And I don't know how, I mean, seriously, I don't know how it comes to this, but they decide that it would be a good idea to gather all the gold they have together, melt it down, make it into the form of a cow, and dance naked around the cow. This is a Vegas story. I mean, this is like, this is like, right, what happens in Mount Sinai stays in Mount Sinai, you know? I mean, it's crazy. And I, can, I mean, I've read all the scholars, well, this is the way that, no. How do you convince a bunch of people to do this? I have no idea. But they did, and it, got, it was crazy. And we never, we always talk about those people and we talk about what happened to Moses, but we always forget about this one dude that's stuck in between, Joshua. Joshua was in between. Why? Very simple reason, and it's key to understanding what value he brings to our lives and to the story of the Old Testament. He was waiting. He was just waiting. You see, character is not always developed by what you do. It is often developed by what you don't do. And Joshua was just waiting. Moses said, hey, Joshua, stay right there. And he, I don't know what was happening up the mountain, but I'm sure, you know, Joshua's like, man, I wish I was there. And then whatever, like, is going on down the mountain, he's like, okay, I should probably stay away from there. <laughs> That's not going to end good, you know. And uh, the character is not always like, you got to do this, and you got to be this, and you got to say this, and you got to think this. Sometimes character is just waiting and what you don't do. I'm not gonna, if I was told to wait, I'm not gonna do something when the Lord is telling me through Moses to just, just relax, stay where you are, 
Just be in the place that you're in. And Joshua is a great, a great example of that. It takes, I think, more faith. Now, it depends on the type of personality you are. So you'll learn something about me. It takes more faith to sit and wait than it does to just do something. Even if it's the wrong thing, let's be honest. Which is exactly what happened to the children of Israel down there in the, in the, in the, in the valley. Is this right? I'm sure thousands of people are saying, is this the right thing? No, nah, but it's something. And it's hard to wait. It's hard to wait. In fact, we learned something about waiting. Waiting is not a passive thing. If you wait passively, you'll eventually just do something. Waiting is an active thing that you and I do. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So waiting is not just like, you're not in a waiting room. Waiting is anxiously expecting God in my life but just doing the thing that he told me to do right now and not doing anything else. Really, really hard to do. And so Joshua was in the in-between. Well, after this happens, Joshua was then chosen to be one of the 12 spies. They took 12 men and they sent them into the land of Canaan to find out what's the land really like. 10 came back, no, let me rephrase. 12 came back saying there's giants in the land. They're huge and it's gonna be really hard. Two of them also said, but we can do it because God's on our side. And that was Joshua and Caleb. And they would be the only two in their age group that would actually enter into the land of promise. You see, what happened after that is that God said, listen, I'm not taking any of you into the land of promise with me. And so we call it the 40 years in the wilderness, but that makes it sound like they just got lost. They weren't lost. They could see it right there. Call it a 40-year death march because they all had to die before they were going in, before the next generation was going in to the promised land, except for Joshua and Caleb. Okay, near the very end of that 40 years, Moses, bar none, one of the greatest leaders the world has ever seen, Moses, we read, got impatient with the people of God, misrepresented God, and God called Moses aside and he said, hey, Moses, you're done. I'm not going to have you bring the people into the land. In fact, let me read it to you, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 37. And the Lord was angry with me, Moses is saying, because of you. He said to me, Moses, not even you will enter the promised land. Instead, your assistant Joshua, son of Nun, will lead the people into the land. Encourage him, for he will lead Israel as they take possession of it. Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you. And so this is the promise that Moses and God passed down to Joshua. God was done working through Moses in this time, but he was just beginning to work through Joshua in his time. And you have to understand how insanely difficult this probably was for Joshua. Again, not a lot of mention in it, about it in the scriptures, except that all throughout Joshua chapter one, the Lord keeps on saying something similar to Joshua. It's this, be strong and of good courage. You wanna know why? Because he was the opposite, freaking out and super discouraged. 
Why? Really simple. For decades, the voice of God sounded like Moses. In fact, there was a time early on when God was speaking to the children of Israel direct from the mountain, and the people were so scared that they went to Moses and they said, let's do something different. Let God speak to you and you speak to us. It is, t- I mean, our animals are freaking out. Our kids are having nightmares. Can we just not hear the voice of God and let God speak to you and then you speak to us? So for decades, the voice of God sounded exactly like Moses. And now it's Joshua's turn. In fact, Moses and Joshua go up a mountain and one came down, friends. Think of that. He, the people are like, where's Moses? He didn't make it. And I'm your new leader. Hello. Talk about shoes to fill. How terrifying this would have been. How insecure he must have felt. That's why over and over, be strong and have good courage. Be strong and have good courage. Be strong and have good courage. And it's an important reminder when it comes to the kingdom of God. The legacy of the kingdom of God has not been faithful people. It's been a faithful God. Huge difference. Let me say it again. The whole legacy of God's kingdom is not faithful people. Hebrews 11 is not about faithful people. It's about a faithful God working through very average people. It's really important that you get that. When I was, um, uh, when I was, uh, we, we were back visiting from a, uh, we, were, we were home in America visiting uh, here and uh, there was a missions conference that was gonna be happening and I had been an assisting youth pastor at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa under Pastor Chuck Smith. He was the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement. Some of you may know who he is, some of you may not, but he started Calvary Chapels a long, long time ago and he was the pastor and, uh, and at this missions conference, he was speaking at like 1.30 and then at three, he was gonna go do uh, a radio show that they, they had there in Southern California and at three at the missions conference, I was gonna be speaking. And so I was really happy to know, I mean, it's never fun. Let me just say, following Chuck Smith after a Bible study, don't do it. Now, you're, you're off the hook now. He's with the Lord. You don't have to. But it was, it's like, I don't recommend doing it. I was like, oh, I was so nervous. Like, are you kidding me? Chuck Smith, and then they get me. Cool. And, but good news is Chuck won't be there because that would make me so nervous. My hands are sweaty. He's not even here, and my hands are sweaty talking about it. And after his study, it's about 2.30, 2.45, we're talking afterwards, and he says, so who's speaking at three? Now, I'm not one of those Calvary pastors that can imitate Chuck's voice. I know all those older guys like to do that. I don't know how to do it. I'm not, I don't know, I just can't. So he said to me, who is speaking next? And I said, it's me, and I'm so glad you won't be there. You know, I, I don't know if I said it or if I thought it, I'm not sure. But he says to me, he goes, oh, I'd really love to hear what you have to say so I'm gonna can- so he cancels being on the radio, and homeboy sat right there. Him and his wife just sat right there. K, two people I love so much. I didn't love them right then. I was like, "What are you doing to me, man? I gotta. Do you hate me? Like, you know, open your Bibles. Never mind. I'm dumb. You know. I mean, I was just. You just get that feeling of like, what am I doing? And let me tell you, Chuck Smith is no Moses. Moses, this guy did miracles. This guy, and now Joshua's like, I got a lead. I'm supposed to take these people into the land that Moses couldn't even do. Are you kidding me? But he was a faithful guy. 
And the kingdom of God is not about our faithfulness, but it's about God's faithfulness. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Joshua was near the town of Jericho, and he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. And Joshua went up to him and he demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. You see, this is a unique moment in Joshua's life. A whole bunch of cool things are happening here. Let me start with this. No doubt Joshua had heard stories from Moses about when God first introduced himself to Moses. If you remember anything about the life of Moses, he was raised to be, you know, in the royal family in Egypt, but he was born Jewish. And he knew, Acts reminds us, he knew that he was supposed to be the deliverer of Israel. He was the great missionary of the Jews out of Egypt. He knew that was his calling. But he did it all wrong. He did it all in the flesh. He, he tried to do it. He tried to lead them out of the land. And you know how he did it? He ended up killing an Egyptian. It, he gets found out and he has to flee for his life. And that's, I mean, I'm sure that Moses was constantly reminding Joshua. In fact, I believe it is one of the reasons that Joshua was able to stay in between the mountaintop and the valley for as long as he did because Moses had said something like this to him. Wait for the Lord's timing, Joshua. Don't make the mistakes that I've been making. I was impatient. I was jumping ahead of God's timing. Don't do it. I'm sure Joshua was sitting there in the middle of the mountain just like, man, what am I doing? And then he hears Moses' voice saying, wait, don't make the same mistakes that I make. So he's waited, but now it is time. And no doubt he's also heard the same stories about when Moses first met God in this unique way. Moses lived in the desert. He'd been there for 40 years. He sees a bush that was burning, which is no special thing to see in the desert. That, everybody misses that. Like, oh, wow, there was a burning bush. Like, it's a desert, dude. Things burn all the time. <laughs> what made it interesting was not a burning bush. It was a burning bush that was not going out. It just kept on burning, kept on burning. In fact, it was a message to Moses. You want to know what the message was? It was this. In the Lord, you can burn and never burn out. Moses had burned out. He tried to do God's work, failed. That's what it's like when you try to do it in yourself. Roll up the sleeves, I'm gonna do it. I'll make it happen. Good luck with that. Moses burned out and now he sees a burning bush that's not burning out and he goes over to it and guess what the first thing that the, you know, God speaks from the bush, he says this, take off your sandals because the place that you're standing is holy. Same thing he said to Joshua. Joshua's getting his burning bush moment. But this time it's not a burning bush. It's the presence of God. It's Jesus in the, in the flesh. It's Jesus presenting himself. Take off your sandals. And that he knew, I am in the presence of the holy God. Now something else has happened here that you gotta see and it's so important to our story that we're reading in Hebrews 11 verse 30. It's this, Joshua goes up and it says that he demanded an answer. He demanded and he asked the same question. You ready? Here's the question. Are you for us or for our foes, our enemies? 
Are you for us or for the enemy? And in, the, in this translation, it says neither one, but in other translations, depending on what you were reading, it says this. In the literal translation, it would read like this. Joshua went up and said, are you friend or foe? No. Which is not an answer. Would you like chocolate or vanilla? No. <laughs> I gave you two, dude. Pick one. No. That's not an answer. And so Joshua goes to God and says, are you for us or for our enemies? No. And says nothing else about it. Really important lesson. You want to know what it is? Here it is. You ready? You got to make sure you're asking the right question. You ask the wrong question, that's what you're going to get. The wrong question is, are you on my side? You want to know what the right question is? How can I be on your side? Am I on your side, God? You think God has a side in the world? You think that there's some people that he likes more than others? The answer is no way. For God so loved the... Yes! I look around and I see a bunch of good-looking, wonderful, smiling, happy people. But we're all sinners like everybody else. Can I get an amen for that one? And there's something interesting about that. And we don't like to be told that. I don't know what, it, I mean, there's something in human nature. Because it feels condemning, like, oh, you're bad, you're gross, you're evil, you're wicked, whatever the word you want to use. But you know when the Bible talks about sin, it's not to tell you how bad you are, it's to remind you that that's the baseline for a relationship with God. It's not, it has nothing to do with like, oh, you're an evil, wicked person. Yeah. That's just the baseline. God doesn't look down right now and go, oh man, Calvary Vegas, them some good people. Those are the good ones. <laughs> My people. In fact, you know, you ever been up on a tall building and you look down, you can see people and you can't tell somebody that's 6'5 from 5'4. It's all the same. And, and I, I just want you to get that perspective that from God, he doesn't look down and go, oh, well, they're good people and those people over there are the bad people. Because Jesus didn't die for good people. You don't want to be the good people. You're not anyways, and I'm not. And that's, that is, <laughs> you're not, and you, and you, no, no. <laughs> this group over here, definitely not. Okay, no. Uh, there's something that in us, though, like, don't tell me that I'm bad. I don't want to tell you that you're bad. That is the baseline for you and me to experience all the mercies and grace of God. It is not the bad part of the story. I hate when we feel, yeah, go ahead, let's clap it up. Come on. <laughs> I hate when we feel like, because if you miss that part, you miss the grace of God. Like, I'm good, and then God also got a good deal when he got me. <laughs> Rather than like, hey, there's none righteous. Not my Muslim friend, not my atheist friend, not the worst person on the planet. There's none righteous. Not one person in this room is righteous. Apart from Christ, I am not righteous. You are not righteous. Our righteousness has been given, not earned. It's been given. It's a gift from God. And so we have to remember when we are asking questions like, are you for me or are you for them? You're asking the wrong question. There's not one person on this planet that God is against. He is for his creation. He made them and he wants to save them. And we got to be on his side there are no other sides to have. There's no other side. God loves people. End of story. And that's where ours begins. 
Because he loves people, our story begins at the cross. So, man, don't get me going. Okay, all right. (laughs) Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now, the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I've given you Jericho. It's king and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men would march around the town one, once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. And the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. There's a couple things I want you to know about Jericho and then we'll talk about this plan that God has. Number one, Jericho was a border town. And so because of that, it was a fortified city, walls and gates. Most of the land of Canaan, it was like rural. It was just countryside, open, open homes, nothing, nothing closed up. But because Jericho was like an entrance into the area of Canaan, they built a strong city there, fortified with gates. In their mind, it was impenetrable. That's really important because it's the first place that God wants his people to attack. And the second thing I want you to notice about Jericho was that the people were already scared of the Israelites. They were already, they were terrified. Something is happening and we're probably on the wrong side. So what do you do? Close the gates, hunker down. The goal is, it's what all ancient war was like. If you can outlive, outlast your enemy, they're on the outside, they need food and water, We need food and water in here. Let's make sure we've got enough. And hopefully they're eventually going to have to go. That's the goal. But then God gives this battle plan. And the plan is really, uh, it's simple to say. You ready? It was this. Everybody in, uh, everybody, uh, all the Israelites get up in the morning on day one and march around the city of Jericho quietly. And then go home. And then on day two, do it again. And then day three, day four, day five, day six. On day seven, it's going to be different. And the people are like, yeah. And then they heard the plan. March seven times around the city. And then on the seventh time, they're going to blow the horns. And then everybody starts screaming. Which, friends, let me, okay. This is a dumb, ridiculous plan. It needs to be said very clearly. There is no, like, this is not a battle plan. It's just dumb. There's, ne- in, in no, there's never been a time when this has worked besides this. Like if you were to take this and say, man, that's a good way to, to destroy a city, it won't work. <laughs> it's not a plan. But I want you to see it from God's perspective. Because you see, we laugh and we, and, and, but imagine being on their side, okay? Imagine being on their side because I, I read this plan and I'm like, this is ridiculous, Like, how do you get people to buy into a plan like that? And that's why I think when we read Hebrews 11.30 and it talks about the the, the walls falling down, it doesn't talk about Joshua because Joshua wasn't the only one that had faith on that day. Joshua heard a plan from God. Guess where the people heard it? From Joshua. They had to actually believe him. Hey, guys, I met with God and God told me this is the plan. And the plan is, you know, and then he tells them on, they're like, okay, then what? What? 
I'm like, no, that's it. It's not a plan. Well, it's what God wants to do. And on this side, now you and I are on the other side, we look at that and we're like, it's awesome. It's beautiful. It's cool. It's fun. How fun to see God do that. But none of y'all feel that way in your story. And I don't feel that way in mine. The Lord's like, let's just wait, Phil. Let's just wait. It's like, no, let's not wait. Let's do this. Let's not do that. I'm going to work in this way in your life. Can we change that, God? Is it negotiable? You see, it's so much easier to read these stories. In fact, let me, let me, just, let me imagine if we, could all, if we could time travel back to day four for the Israelites. And you know the story. You know exactly what's going to happen. And you time travel back and you're walking with all the people. And there's little kids going like, Mom, what are we doing? Mom's like, I have no idea. Stupidest plan ever. And then you could step into there and you say, listen, hey, I know you don't know me, I don't know you. This isn't gonna make any sense to you, but I'm telling you, keep going. Why? This is ridiculous. My kid's crying, I, you know, stroller broke or whatever, you know. This is this is frustrating. Just keep going. Why? Because it's gonna work out. Exactly what you think. I'm telling you, I've read your story. Just keep going. But you see, it's so hard when it's our story. It's so easy to read these and be like, yeah, just trust the Lord. That's why when somebody's hurting, you know, they're hurting, they've gone through, they're just going through a terrible time, you don't slap a Bible verse at them. Oh, you know, all things work together for good. Pew, pew, how is that working out for you right now? How are you feeling right now, right? You see what I'm saying? Like, it's not like, it doesn't work like that. It's so hard in our moment to trust God. But here's the, here's the story. You ready? We have to. We need to trust the Lord. Is it hard? Of course it is. But I want you to see it from God's perspective for a moment. I want you to see what was accomplished on that day in Jericho. You ready? Think of it from God's perspective, not human perspective. This is God's. You ready? God's plan would result in these four things happening. Number one, the walls were going to come down. Number two, the faith of the entire nation of Israel was going to be built up in one moment. I mean, could you imagine how excited everybody got when they're like, ah, and then they, and the walls fell down. Like, oh my gosh, it worked. I can't believe that. That was the stupidest plan ever, and it worked. I mean, faith builder, like, I mean, building faith, bringing walls down. Incredible. Number three, Joshua's leadership was established. Next time Joshua's like, don't do that, people were like, don't do it, do it. This guy, this guy hears from God, don't mess with him. Number four, the people of Canaan would be more scared of the Israelites than ever before. The whole nation, uh, the, the, the land of Canaan was going to fall like dominoes before the Jews because of what happened in Jericho. But it's real hard to see this from God's perspective when you're living in your perspective. And that's my encouragement for you today is to try to see that God has a perspective on your life. You don't get to see it totally, not fully, but he loves you as much as he loved those people then. He values you as much as he valued those people in that moment. You're not like a, a side note to the story of God on earth. You are an integral part of what God is doing in the world today. 
So you have to understand that from his perspective, he's working. Oh, he's just, I'm just stuck here. Nothing's happening. God's working. God's moving. In fact, I want you to, I want to do, I want to give you three more things that I want you to consider about faith and God's objectives on this day and how that can affect our days today, okay? So I'm going to give you three more things. Ready? Number one, what God did on that day was methodical. God's plan was methodical. Number two, God's plan involved all the people. And number three, God's plan was effective. Let me explain what I mean by this. Seven days, the same thing, over and over and over. Now, let's be clear. They didn't even have to do it one time for God to knock the walls down. They didn't have to do any, they could have done, they could have literally woken up in the morning and the city was gone. Instead, God chose to have them every day get up and walk. And just walk. Let me put that into some perspective. I think it's why Sunday is important and then Sunday again, and then Sunday again, and then Sunday again. Like, what am I doing? Why am I, and Bible reading, and Bible reading. What am I doing? I'm reading the same book my whole life. (laughs) The same book my entire life. And then I'm going to go to church, and they're going to read the same book. It's like, where's the creativity in that? But just being methodical about that, that's where, listen, you want to see your faith get built up in your life? That's where it's going to happen. That's where it's going to happen. It may not be in like, you know, oh, if I was, you know, if I was fighting Goliath, I'm ready. Friends, we're not ready if we're not building that in methodically, just building it in, building it in, building it in. Just let God build faith in your life. I'm ready to slay giants. Can you just go to work on Monday? Because I'm telling you, I'd rather slay a giant than go to work on Monday. (laughs) That sounds way more exciting. You know, let's go walk on water. Let's do the same job for 30 years. This is an easy one, you know. Uh, You know, yeah, we'd always hear people, especially on the mission, feel like, I'm ready to die for Jesus. And we would always say to them, like, could you just live for him? (laughs) Like that. You don't choose that part, but you can choose this one. Let's just choose to live for him. Be, be, don't be afraid of the process that God has you in. Don't fear it. Oh, it's so slow. Not from God's perspective. It's all working. It's all happening. The second thing I said with God plan involved all of God's people. It was a collective faith builder. And we see this in the life of the New Testament. We see Jesus doing miracles where he involved his disciples and they got to all be a part of seeing God do some great work. Get yourself involved. Be involved in the work of God so that you can see what God is trying to accomplish. I'll give you a case in point. If you remember in, the, in, in John chapter 2, there was a, a, a wedding in the, city of, in the town of Cana and the, they ran out of wine and Jesus had the servants go fill the, water, or the pots up with water and they brought them back and they gave it to the master. It was water, but it became wine. It was a miracle of water turning into wine. And there was only one group of people who knew what had happened. It was the servants. The people serving get to see the heart of God in action. You can't be on the sidelines and then be like, oh, you know, yeah, that's all in my day. Nobody cares. It's your day today. You didn't have a day. If you're breathing, it's your day. Right now, 
You cannot be on the sidelines. The servants are the ones that see the miracles of God. Excuse me. And then the last thing here is that God's plan was effective. And by that I mean this. Had the Israelites done the battle themselves, they would have eventually opened up a crack in the wall. Eventually, one weak point in the wall would have given, and they would have all you know, been running through. We've all seen that in movies. Think about how effective God's plan was. Every part of the wall fell. And I want to end it with this. Think of how effective God's plan for salvation has been. Jesus said this, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Not one at a time, not like one, no, no methods, no plans, no programs. One person being lifted up on a cross has drawn the whole world into an opportunity of eternal life. That is the most effective I, there's nothing more effective than what God did on a cross. It's incredible. And I want to end with a kind of a challenge to you. Um, to let God rebuild faith in your life. Not some like weird religious concept of faith, but a living God who brings down walls what walls need to be torn down in your life? What barriers exist between you and God that God could tear down today? Maybe it's relational barriers, fear. What is it that needs to come crashing down? And you know, there's a lot of ways to get there, but let me tell you the most effective, God. God working in your life. And maybe you're here and you don't know that you've even put your faith in Jesus. Or you have that doubt, you wonder, I think I have, I just don't know. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to come into assurance. God did not die on a cross so that we could wonder if I'm going to heaven or not. He wants you to have full assurance that when you're not here on this planet, you are with him forever. No reason to have any doubts about that at all. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word and the opportunity that we've had today to look at it. And I pray, Jesus, that as we, as we go into a time of worship and response, Lord, I love that Calvary Las Vegas gives time to respond to your word, to respond to your heart, to let the Spirit speak for us rather than just you know, oh, we hear something, oh, that was pretty good, and then we're off on our, on our day. And so I'm encouraging all of us, whether you've been a Christian, you know, decades or, or you're still kind of figuring things out, just give this moment, give this, give this little window to self-reflect, to really consider. And if you're watching online, I encourage you in the same way. Don't, don't just click it off just yet. Ask yourself this question. Have I put my faith in Jesus? Have I put my faith in Jesus? Does my life belong to him? Am I on his side? Or am I wanting him to be on my side? And so what I want to do is I want to invite and encourage a couple different groups of us to take the opportunity for prayer today. We got a great group of people that are available to pray with us. And I, I, what a waste to not just take advantage of that. And it may not be your normal habit, but it's a good one to start 
that we learn how to get out of our chairs and let somebody pray for us where we feel we need support, strength. Maybe, in fact, you feel like you got no strength today. Well, there's good news. God wants to give you strength and meet you, and, and, and he can use somebody else to be the encouragement in your life today. You don't have to do this all by yourself. And so as we sing this song, you're struggling in your faith. You just need somebody that would lay hands on you and just give you that sense of, once again, encouragement. You belong to God, and he loves you, and he is for you. Please don't miss the opportunity to let them pray for you. Maybe there's walls that need to come down, but you're just struggling to understand what that looks like on your own. Let somebody pray for you. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. Or, I'll say it like this, you're still kind of wondering if you have. And friend, today is the day to stop wondering. Today, by the love of God, I'm, I'm begging you, come down and let somebody pray for you. Give your life over to Jesus. And so it's an, it's an open opportunity for prayer. I think it's important that we open that wide. Don't miss this opportunity. We're going we're gonna to just give that opportunity during this one song. So don't wait. Don't assume, oh, there's going to be time. Right now is that time. Jump out of that chair. Come down and let somebody pray for you. Let's worship. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away. I was your foe, still your love far from me. You have been so, so good to me. Oh, when I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. Yes, it You have been so, so kind to me. Yeah. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me 
fight still alive found please in 99 I couldn't earn it and I don't deserve it still you give yourself away trust you more, Lord. Whatever season we're in, Lord, you see it. You see where we're at. We just, Lord, kind of with, just in faith, God, we, we, we maybe, we do something that's, you know, maybe we don't normally lift our hands or maybe that's our habit. It doesn't matter, but we do it, Lord, because we, we want more of you, God, and we believe more from you, Lord, in our lives and that, uh, that you could, Lord, uh, you could build up our faith, God, we trust you, Lord, and we think of that dad that would say, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so, Lord, the areas in our life where we struggle to trust you right now, we want to believe you in a fresh way. We trust you, God. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.